gonna rock this shade Gonna scream my name Make you shout now, honey Gonna make you whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Now, here's an indie blues double shot from our featured artist today, Aaron Coburn. And stay tuned for that interview. It comes up right after these songs. You're a model of flawless design. I can't help but feel butterflies. Every time you are by, you make me want to throw away my storyline and make a new one with you. Rescue, rescue I know these feelings have been long overdue Who's this? Told myself I'd never ever fall, fall, fall I said life's too short to let them have it all Right Yeah uh, I know these feelings have been long overdue
take my mind on my hands out for you You opened up my love and now I can't put it back If I do my cards right, well I have you in my stack from her brand new release and uh we've got Aaron on the line right now hey Aaron, how are you hey i'm doing great how are you i'm doing pretty well now this is the first time you've been on our show and we always like to start things off by giving our fans an opportunity to get to know who you are and the best way to do that is through your journey how you got to where you are today so can you give us the story of Erin Coburn. Absolutely. Yeah, it all started when I was two. I found my dad's guitar, um, his acoustic guitar, um, lying around. And um, he actually had had this guitar before I was even born, but he never really played it. My mom got it for him. And so when I found it, me being a two-year-old was like, oh, this is mine now, you know, like claim 
And so um, that, that guitar was bigger than me. There are actually videos of me playing in my diaper with this thing, this acoustic guitar that looks like an upright bass, and I was playing it like an upright bass. Um, it didn't sound very good, but that was the first introduction to the guitar. Um, and then when I was seven or like six or seven, my parents got me my own acoustic guitar that was more my size. It was this little pink acoustic guitar that had a fairy on it. It was the cutest thing. Um, I still have it, but it's, it's kind of gross now. <laughs> um, so that, um, they got me lessons along with that, and I was a bad student. I did not want to practice anything that teachers gave me to practice um, for guitar lessons. Because I, all I wanted to do was write my own songs and play around and like write my own riffs. I was very stubborn. Um, I still learned and stuff, but um, still was not the greatest student until I found um, a guitar teacher that kind of understood me. And he nurtured that aspect of me wanting to write riffs and make up my own stuff. And so I, I listened to him play for a few minutes. I'm like, wow, like, what is that? And I knew, like, I had heard things like it before, but he was playing the blues. I'm like, oh, my gosh, did you just make up an entire guitar solo on the spot, like, using just anything around you? And he's like, yep. And I'm like, teach me how to do that. So um, he showed me how to do improv. Um, over like blues progressions and man, it just blew my mind. I was just, I was ecstatic at the fact that I could create something on the spot, like, you know, talking, um, through the guitar. And so that kind of got me hooked on, um, guitar solos and, and leads and stuff. So, um, from there I started going to open jam sessions with, um, my guitar teacher. And, um, I remember the first open jam session there were, um, I think everyone was above like 60 years old. And they were all guys and no one looked friendly. I, I was like this little like 11 year old girl and no one looked friendly. They were, it was scary, but um, I sat in and after the first song, it was like, we were all best friends. Like growing up when I was in middle school and high school, all of my friends were like above 50 and like old blues musicians. And it was awesome because, <laughs> you know, we could have conversations on guitar and, you know, knew exactly what we were saying. Um, but yeah, the jam sessions. And then um, eventually through, through the jam sessions, I met some other musicians that um, I started a band with. So I had my own band going. I was playing in a classic rock cover band and I was playing in a bluegrass band because I lived in Kentucky at the time. Um, I grew up in Northern Kentucky. And so I had all those bands and stuff, but my band, I got my first paying gig when I was 12 and I thought like a hundred dollars. Oh my gosh, like this is amazing. <laughs> I was, I was rich. I was a rich 12 year old <laughs> with a hundred dollars, but, um, you know, split four ways. <laughs> But it was uh, that I, that was that was a turning point, and um, I used to want to be a neurobiologist, um, and so I that was kind of my plan throughout high school because I was like, you have to go to college and you have to do this. I'm like, okay, well, I'll do I'll be a neurobiologist because I watched The Big Bang Theory, and that's what one of my favorite characters does. So I'll do that. And um, then you know, after realizing, wow, I can make make kind of like a living doing music. This is crazy, and I switched plans. <laughs> so. And then halfway through high school, um, I was like on the road a lot. And so my public high school wasn't letting me tour as much because I was missing school. And I was a really good student, straight A's and everything. And I always got stuff done, but it was hard when I was on the road. So I went to online school for um, two years for uh, my junior and senior year. I went, well, halfway through sophomore year to senior year. 
And um, I got my, um, like, half of my first year of college out of the way, too, during that same time. So um, online school was the best, and I could do it on the road while I was on tour and all of that. So that was really great thing for the career. But that, that helped even more. I feel like every small little decision, like, I made um, really helped my um, career and stuff. But um, I think from there, uh, it's just, it's been the same, not really the same, but it's been climbing, you know, more shows and bigger shows and meeting more people and, and influences and, you know, getting more education. Cause like in this industry, there's always something to learn cause it's always growing and changing every day. There's new technology. Um, and you know, nowadays there's so many things that put power into the artist's hands and uh, I just want to put my hands all over it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's the journey. <laughs> Now, what were some of the influences for you as a guitar player that that really you saw that you kind of copped the most amount of licks from? Um, my my guitar influences um, as a as a guitar player growing up, um, my biggest influences were Prince. I loved Prince. My my parents always had him on the TV, and like his guitar solo on "While My Guitar Gently Weeps" is just oh, yeah. amazing. Um, I could watch that video just. Oh, day and night and um, I loved how expressive he was and it wasn't about how many notes can I play you know it was more about what am I trying to say and so that's what really attracted me to him I also love Joe Satriani I grew up like watching him in my diapers my parents always had him on the tv too um who else oh B.B. King you know like you can you can say he he said so much with like you know three notes <laughs> and it's just again you know I don't I never want to focus on how fast can I play and, you know, how many notes can I say? It's just like that. That was, man, BB style was the whole, I can say so much with so little. So um, those were like some three main guitar players that um, I really, really followed closely. Okay. Now um, let's talk about the new release. Uh, when you were putting this together, um, what was your goal for this? It, it You know, I, I had heard that this new EP you're coming out with is, a little bit of a departure for you, but closer to what you're looking for. Tell me a little bit about your motivation for it. Yes. So um, the newest, the newest single sleeve um, came out because I, I made it because I, I've, I've always gravitated towards rock and I love the blues too. And, you know, I grew up playing the blues, but like the blues gave birth to rock, but I loved the fact that rock was, anything and i've noticed a lot in the blues world especially today there's lots of people that are like well that's not blues or that's not you know you, that's not that doesn't sound like you know traditional blues but like the blues is a feeling so it could be in any kind of music i think but um anyway i i want i want to go more towards rock sound because there's no criteria or you know certain things that you have to have in there to be a rock song it's just like just go for it and like the energy is usually high and you know i have high energy so um i've been wanting to go more towards being a rock artist and just calling myself that because i can still do blues while i'm being a rock artist because it's you know blues gay again gay birth and rock so um when i really sleep that was the whole the whole deal and um that actually i recorded leave in my recording studio so i run a recording studio here in um, middletown ohio and um when i during the pandemic i went and got like my certification in audio engineering 
so um, I could do that and learn how to record and everything. So now I can mix and master and record my own songs. And Sleeve was the first one that I did. I mixed and mastered myself and recorded myself and um, released. So that was a huge, uh, a huge achievement for me. And it was very exciting to see that a lot of people really enjoyed that song. Well, you know, you know the big difference between rock and blues? 70 watts. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's I've never really heard that. Well, you, I mean... Is that a quote from someone? Well, yeah, from me. <laughs> oh, that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if you look at... I mean, Muddy Waters, I mean, you listen to his stuff. I mean, it's it's rock and roll. That's where rock and roll came from. Uh, you know, and Muddy yeah. Waters was an innovator, not an imitator. He... He was able to, you know, create this this unique sound with distorted guitars that no one had ever heard of before. And now, yeah. it's, you know, it's the staple of the music industry, you know, with that sound. Whether you're country or blues or rock or, you know, no matter what, that sound is there. You know, Muddy Waters' influence is there. If it wasn't for the blues, we'd all be dancing around to the polka. And that would be scary. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, blues blues is, is absolutely it's it's the grandfather of everything. Yep. Now, um, let's talk a little bit about you as a songwriter. Uh when mm-hmm. you sit down to begin that process, um what what is your mechanism that allows you to tap into the muse? Yeah, so um when I sit down to write a song, um it's changed over the years. Before um, I was using a ditto looper, like this little looper and, um, it was super basic, but there's videos of me like just looping on top of, you know, tons of different things. And there's always sparking creativity. So I think when I, as I got older and, you know, got on the computer a lot more and, and learned about like doll softwares and stuff like that was a huge turning point. But at the same time, it's just essentially a looper, but I can, you know, separate everything. So that having that at my fingertips is just a huge, huge plus for being creative. It always makes me feel like, wow, I have, I have so many tools I can use to write whatever I'm feeling at this moment. And that's, that's what I do. You know, I, I, I'm using that. So whether it's the loop or the doll software, but yeah. Okay. Now um, let's talk about melody. You know, to me, I mm-hmm. look at melody and lyrics as two different things. Um, lyrics are very, um, is more of a craft. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Uh, you have, uh, a story, you have continuity, you have meter, you have rhyme, but melody is different. It's a different function of the brain. Uh, some songwriters like to work off a groove. Others like to work off of a chord structure and then others Mm -hmm. take the, the lyric and the cadence of that lyric dictate where the melody should go what is your go-to when you start looking for the melodic ideas of your songs uh it's different every time um sometimes i i I like to record the instrumentals a lot like first before i do lyrics and vocal melodies so um a lot sometimes it'll be a bass line that i threw away or like a guitar line that i threw away that i'm like actually this would sound good on top of what I have here. Um, and I'll use that for a vocal melody. Um, but a lot of the times I'm pretty, I keep it simple. Um, 
sometimes like I'll be driving and it just there's a melody that just gets in my head and then I have to come home and and write something around it or connect it to something I already have. Um, but a lot of the times, if I'm in front of you know the computer and I have all of my um, tracks and everything, I'll just loop it and I'll just start singing random things and see what catches. And if there's something that I pause. If I pause my song and I'm like, I'm still singing that same melody that I was singing, like one of the melodies that sticks out, I'm like, that's the one. Because <laughs> I'm still singing it. It's still in my head. It's catchy. That's the one. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, and like you said, they, you know, the melody um, can can rely on a lot of different things or come from a lot of different things, you know, um, whether it's the rhythm of the drums or, or whatnot. But absolutely, yeah. Okay. Now, you would mention a couple of the tools that you use when you sit down to write. And technology mm-hmm. has really brought us some great tools, whether it's the cell phone, the looper, home recording studio. What are some of the main tools that you have found indispensable to you as a writer? Yes. So, I mean, I can always sit down with a guitar and just myself and write. That's great. Um, but uh, ideally, it's great to have my um, computer in front of me with Pro Tools. I run um, Pro Tools um, Ultimate and then having like a MIDI keyboard so I can program drums or um, key, key parts um, within the song. So just having my computer, Pro Tools, my guitar. And then I recently, I, I don't know if I'm like, oh, if, it's, if I'm allowed to like go into uh, gear yeah, nerd yeah, stuff. Ahead, if I go into it. Okay, all right, I'm going to geek out a little bit here. I am a gear geek myself. <laughs> I've been a recording engineer oh, since 1980. So Yes, so you understand. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, I've been doing this a long time. If you saw my studio right now where I'm sitting, you would be geeking yeah. out big time. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I love it. Gear. Okay. Oh. <laughs> well, okay, so then have you heard of... Um, I just got the Torpedo Captor. Have you heard of that? No. What is that? It's really cool. So so basically, instead of having to mic a guitar amp, um, I love tube amps. Uh, you know, like, I love, like, the amp stems that are in the computers are cool, um, but they're not the same as tube amps. And so um, I like to blend the two sometimes. But with the Torpedo Captor, it's, like, kind of looks like a DI box. Um, so basically, you can like route it so you are taking like a capture from your guitar head so i have like a bad cat classic deluxe head that i have in the studio and i connect that to my torpedo captor and then i also have a di signal in case i want to use that but um then that goes into my computer and i can get a cab sim so simulate a cab but i'm still getting the actual tubes into my um, doll software. So I'm recording with a tube amp and it sounds like a tube amp and it feels like a tube amp. So it's just another way to use tube amps in recording without having to mic them, but still getting that same, um, yeah, tube sound. It's crazy. It saved me a ton of time. And I'm currently, um, if you hear like a saw in the background, my dad is um, building out my recording studio at the moment and <laughs> okay. walls and stuff. So I'm currently in my bedroom <laughs> Um, and because we're, my, my recording studio is in the garage and so we're, um, separating it, um, and building out like non-parallel walls. So I have a good mixing environment, um, right. for mixing and 
but at, at the moment, yeah, I'm not in the greatest room, so miking stuff is not, like, ideal for me. So having this capture device has been a lifesaver. It's crazy. So um, that's what I've been geeking out lately, geeking out about lately. It's uh, it's really, really neat. So that, I would put that as definitely one of my uh, mandatory things to have when recording or writing. You know, I actually have a Kemper in my studio. Oh, that, Kempers uh, are cool. <laughs> oh, Kempers. I, I mean, I've got over 30,000 um, amp models in my camp, you know, in my, my oh database. My yeah, like I said, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a big gearhead. I mean, yes. big, you should see my mic locker. You would be, you know, you would be impressed. You know, I, I love mic lockers. Yeah. I love them. I could spend like hours in them going through everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got Norman oh. U87s. I've got tlm 102s 103s uh got a lot of warm audio mics i love their mics um i'd consider getting some of their stuff have you heard of um the townsend labs uh, oh, yeah. microphone it's the yeah 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 i just that and that's crazy too because like you can model all the stuff um well, i think actually audio, i think puts out the models yep, yep. Uh, they, they just bought them mm-hmm. yeah yeah i actually have a uad octi card in my system uh, with a bunch of the plugins, and Slate Digital also has a uh, the ML1 and the ML2 mm-hmm. with their mic models. Um, what mm-hmm. I found is that uh, sometimes those models are good just using them on other kinds of mics. Like uh, I'll take an AKG D112 microphone and then mm-hmm. put a, um, a U87 U47. Uh, mic clone on it and yeah and, and then just the, the combination of that of the of the uh, model and that uh, AKG T1, D112 really fattens oh, out a, a bass drum yeah you're like stacking them almost that's yeah. interesting yeah I mean you don't have to use it with the modeling mic you can use it on with any mic and just experiment yeah. with you know the models and how they work. Oh, I'll try that. That's, that's actually really cool. I never thought about doing that. Yeah, Interesting. There's no rules oh. in recording. You can do <laughs> that's anything very you true. want. That's, yes, that's what I've noticed. When I was younger, um, before I like went to school for recording, like I um, like well, for the certification program, like I noticed that if you just watch YouTube videos, everyone's going to think you're doing something or say that you're doing something wrong with recording or like, you know, techniques are like, Oh, well don't do this, do this. But you're right. It's kind of like you're an artist, even when you're mixing a song. Cause like mixing is an art, you know, it, it's so easy to think like, Oh yeah, you know, mix with your eyes, but it's, it's in, you know, mixing with your ears. It's an art. Oh yeah. For sure. Without a doubt. Um, I'm, well, I'm old school. I mean, I came from, you know, the days of tape. I started out, you know, on the splice block, uh, you know, cutting mm-hmm. tape and, and splicing it together. Um, you know, oh, my God. So, you know, to me, this whole digital world is just, you know, it's just wonderful. I can do things that I could never yes. do before. You know, and, <laughs> you know, it's all about just gain staging and, and just making sure your signal's good coming in. Once you get yeah. it in, some of the plugins they have today are just amazing. You, have, you know, 1176s, LA2As. Um, yeah. I have a, uh, some hardware LA2As and 1176s in my studio. I use them. Oh, you know, nice. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got eight channels of API. I've got, uh, 
six channels of Neve 1073s. I've got focus. Oh my gosh. Focusrite preamps. I've got UA 710s. I got, you know, I got all kinds of stuff here. Wow. Like I said, I'm I'm a real real gearhead. Oh my, I can appreciate that. And, you know, I use Studio One as opposed to Pro Tools, mm-hmm. though I do have Pro Tools in the studio, but I just find yeah. it a little easier and they're a lot more, um, uh, how can I say, uh, user-friendly to their users. Yeah. You know, uh, and they were just purchased by Fender, actually. Uh, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Studio One was? Yeah, Personas. Interesting. Yeah, Personas just uh, was purchased by Fender Musical Instruments. So they're now wow. under the Fender banner, and they uh, just came out with Studio One Six. So it's it's a, it's a cool software. You should just take a look at it. You might find it uh, a lot easier to use. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, absolutely. I yeah, I, I looked at because um, I had a bunch of friends that were using Ableton, yeah. and this is you know I tried Ableton, and I'm like, I yeah. still like Pro Tools, but I. I'll look into Studio One. I've heard a couple things about it, but I haven't uh, fully dove into that one. So I'll definitely check that out. Okay. Now, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the music industry. Uh, yes. Over the last 20 years, and I know you're, you're one of the young artists, and you've grown up in the digital revolution. Um, I have a perspective in that I remember when music was a product. When music was something that pre- people went to stores, they purchased, um, yeah. and they used to buy, you know, CDs from the merch tables of artists. But nowadays, uh, with streaming being the way that people consume music, the consumer no longer looks at recorded music as a product. It's now a service. They expect it on their phone. Mm-hmm. When they go to Spotify, if they don't find an artist there. That artist becomes mm-hmm. irrelevant, and they move on to the next thing. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there, and it's very hard to get noticed. So if you're not in the places that people can find you, you're lost. So it's kind of a catch-22. How yeah. has this shift in perception by the consumer affected you as an artist? Yeah, so um, it's kind of like, let me think... Like, at shows, you know, I still have people buying CDs and stuff. But, you know, I think back then, like, with the... I think it's a good thing, um, and it's a bad thing. But, you know, bad thing... We'll start with the bad first. Bad is, obviously, when people were buying CDs, artists were making more money. <laughs> but... Because yes. it was a tangible thing, and, it's you know, it's not streaming. Um, the good thing, though, it's the give or take, is, you know, we lose the money, but we do gain the opportunity to get in front of a lot more people. Um, and connect with a lot more people as like fan base and grow fan bases at like a lot quicker, faster rates. Um, but like you said, yeah, it is harder to break into that market, but you know, there are new tools and social media, especially like TikTok, for example. Um, I know a lot of people don't like that platform and I used to be one of them, but I love it. I think it's one of the new ways that artists are going to be making money and growing their fan bases exponentially. And I've, you know, seen it. I literally, my song hit like 260,000 streams a few days ago. Um, and it's been out for, uh, like five months or something. But anyway, like when I first released it, 
you know, or before I even released it, actually, I um, dropped a video of me running up to the camera and saying, if someone sent this to you, they want you to know that. And then my song starts playing. Um, and that was eight seconds. It was an eight second video and it went viral and everyone was asking, where is this song? And I didn't even have it finished yet. It wasn't even done in the recording studio. So I'm like, oh, crap. Like, um, it'll be done soon. And so I got it done in like two days and then had it on for release the next week and it blew up and people were like going crazy. I couldn't have done that with CDs because I can reach that many people with CDs and that amount of time without a label, but I did this all independent. And so I think that's like the give and take of like people seeing it as a service is like, you know, if you're ready at the right time, um, and if you're ready when when people um, want what you're making, if you take that opportunity and go with it versus waiting like a year to release something or waiting a month, like people are going to forget about you. So, um, you know, at least in this environment, it's good to hop on that as soon as possible. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's good and bad. And, and I agree with you. I think TikTok is a great platform. TikTok, Clapper, uh, Instagram. Uh, I think those are yeah. great platforms to break new artists. Uh, what I found with, uh, you know, particularly in streaming, is that the record companies kind of went to Spotify, Pandora, and they, they cut their own deals. And, you know, you got to mm-hmm. give them a little uh, leeway on that because that's what's really attracting people to these platforms are the larger artists. The problem yeah. is, is the bulk of their content really comes from us, you know, the independent artists. We supply them with the bulk of what they're they're providing um and if you really look at it the revenue that streaming leaves for the independent artist is not a sustainable business model uh you can't continue to ask independent artists to go into studios hire musicians and producers create these works and then not even give them the opportunity to break even and I think we yeah. need to to kind of change that dynamic and, and allow independent artists at least the opportunity, you know, if, if the people gravitate to the music and they enjoy the music and they stream it, to at least break even or at least make a profit on that project. What do you think yeah. needs to happen to kind of change that dynamic, to, to move forward from here in, in, an, in a new music industry? Yeah. Um, well, to be for reality wise, I don't think it will do that. But in a way, it's kind of. Let me think about that because I had something I was going to say and I kind of lost it. That's okay. <laughs> um, I think like working, we could work towards you know like where like there's certain like platforms that could maybe independent artists go to and you know there's a lot a lot more people that especially my age that want to support independent artists and find the small artists to say, Oh, I found them first. So like having platforms that maybe would only have into the small independent artists, um, on them. But then again, I still don't know if that's a realistic approach. Um, I think, I think a lot of what's happening is going to work itself out. Oh, I know what it was. Um, no. Okay. Okay. I know what it was. I backed that up. <laughs> I'm talking in a million circles. Okay, I had a lot of cash. Um, so, okay. So I think, um, that, um, a lot of, like you said, artists are going into recording studios and paying a lot of money to create their music. 
Um, and what I what there's been a huge shift in home studios and artists learning how to do it all themselves. And there's a lot more artists that are recording things themselves and playing the instruments themselves and mixing it themselves and mastering it themselves, doing literally everything by themselves to save all that money. And I think it's unfortunate because recording studios are shutting down and not a lot of people, you know, like I think the like Spotify and uh, like Apple music, the streaming services are going to be pushing recording studios out of business as far as independent artists go. And that's how independent artists are going to make some of their money back because they're not spending it all there. But then you have the recording studios and the producers that are not getting that revenue, the smaller independent ones. And I think those are the people that are going to be really, really hurting um, as, you know, Spotify and Apple music continue to be big major players. Um, but yeah, as far as fixing the problem, I hope that maybe, maybe um, TikTok can keep building these audiences that want to consume smaller artists' music and, you know, be proud of that. You know, there's an artist called, um, his name is Russ, and he's completely independent, and he is huge now. And the reason why he got big is because he built a fan base that is so excited to say, I follow an independent artist, and he's not signed, and he's done it all himself. There are so many people that, um, there are so many audiences that are being built that are, that's their favorite thing to say. I follow an independent artist. So if we can have platforms that encourage that, um, you know, then I think the revenue would come in a lot, a lot more um, and uh, be probably more fair. Okay. Well, you know, if you look at the history of the digital revolution, you know, we started out with Napster and everyone said, oh, Napster, you know, never go away. You can't stop it. It's a behemoth. You know, it's spread out through the Internet. It's, you know, nobody can stop it. Well, along came iTunes and, you know, they had the 99 cent downloads and all of a sudden, you know, oh, it's Apple. It's too big to, you know, to unseat. It will be here forever. Well, who the hell has iPods anymore? You know, they're gone. Uh, And now then we went to streaming with with Spotify and then everybody's saying, well, you know, Spotify is here. It's too big. It will never go away. Well, that's not really what the history is showing us. And there is a future that is happening that's changing the streaming world. Uh, one of them is these new streaming services that are based on the blockchain. And the blockchain mm-hmm. is this software technology that makes cryptocurrency a reality. It's the security that they use for cryptocurrency. And Mm -hmm. one of the big things of it is that it decentralizes uh, the monetary market. And what they're looking to do now is decentralize the music industry, where these streaming services like Audius and Emanate, they're claiming they're going to pay up to 80% of the incoming revenue back to the artists themselves. And not wow. only that, they'll you'll get paid immediately upon a stream, because what happens is is that as soon as soon as someone accesses your music on these platforms, it triggers what they call a smart contract that automatically mm-hmm. generates a revenue stream directly to you. So it takes away all of those middlemen. So it's a direct relationship between fan and artist. 
fan pays his his royalty or his subscription accesses your music and immediately you get a payment from that access what do you think mm-hmm. of that as a potential future for the industry I think that I think that would be amazing. I mean, I had not actually heard a lot about that, so I'm glad that I was enlightened tonight. Um, oh, I, I think that would be fantastic. That would be um, a very positive move forward for a lot of artists. I, you know, and I and there are other ways that that artists are taking control of their yeah. business. Um, one of them, I don't know if you're familiar with the artist Naz. Uh, the rap artist. Uh, oh, uh, is it, uh, yes, yes, I am. Okay. Well, what he did is he went to this site called Royal.io, and he yes. uh, took two of his songs from his latest release, and he created NFTs, non-fungible tokens, that represented mm-hmm. 0.15% of his streaming royalties, and he minted enough to cover one half of the royalties on two songs and sold that to his fan base it was able to generate almost six hundred thousand dollars of upfront income now wow. not only did he get this upfront income but also he now has almost three thousand fans that now have an economic interest in making sure that his music is streamed because they get paid when his music oh. gets streamed. That makes sense. That makes sense. Interesting. Now, not only that, every t- now these are now on the open market, so they can be bought, sold, traded, so on down the line. But every time these things get resold, NAS gets a percentage of that sale price in perpetuity mm-hmm. forever. So that goes on forever. As these things get sold and resold, it's a generating yeah. income for him, no matter how it, where it goes. So it's, wow. it's, it's a new way of doing the music industry where the fans and the artists are in control of not only the revenue stream, but also the, the art itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think yeah, of that, that, that uh, kind of business model? I think, I mean, it creates, uh, it creates a fan base that's going to be even closer to you. I mean, like, that's a, that's a new kind of bond between artists and fans. I, I mean, I think that's, that's really neat. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. Well, it's almost like selling stock in a song, if you think yeah, about they're it. Invested. <laughs> yeah, they're investing. Yeah. Yeah, they're investing into not only you as an artist, but they'll invest in a song they like. You know, I yeah. love this song. Let me buy a piece of it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's similar to like on TikTok, you know, if someone likes the song and they want other people to hear about it, they're going to hit that share button. So like, you know, it's basically, it basically is like that, but with actual like payments and stuff. Yeah, with monetary interest. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to be doing some more thinking on that. I mean, I hope that, I hope that, uh, that keeps coming about <laughs> in uh, royal.io. I will be looking yeah. at that. Yeah, uh, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure talking with you, and yeah, and, uh, and we're going to give everyone out there an indie blues double shot from your new release. You guys are going to love this. You know what? Turn it up loud. We're going to have some fun tonight. 
out from under, already falling in. Time, stress, and obligations when come out from under, it's time we give in. Spit blood, sex is a sin, I'm out from under, already falling in. Time, stress, and obligations when come out from under, it's time we give in.
It's real. Gonna rock these shades. Gonna scream my name. Make you shout now, honey. Gonna make you shout. Whether you're an independent artist or a fan that loves them, makingascene.org is the place for you. For the music fan, we bring you in-depth interviews and CD reviews from artists who are on the cutting edge of original music. For the independent artist, we bring you articles on music business, recording techniques, gear reviews, and interviews with industry professionals that give you real-world information to help you negotiate the new realities in the music industry and give you the tools you need to move your career to the next level. We bring you new content every day. Makingascene.org is the number one resource for the independent artists and the fans that love them. Head on over and become part of the Indie Revolution. Shout now, honey. Gonna make 